0: G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope, and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon.
1: So the Bible reading this morning is Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you so much for reading. Uh, My name is Andy. Thanks, Paul. What service. Thank you so much. Um, My name's Andy Judd, and I have a weird job. I love my job, let's be clear, but it is a weird job. I remind of this uh, uh, every time at the school gate, I meet a new dad. And uh, I've been in Christian ministry, full-time Christian ministry for the last 15 years, and at the school date, as you're making awkward conversation, uh, one of the first questions people often try is, so what do you do? Uh, To which the truthful answer is, I'm an Anglican priest. Uh, Which, I mean, I might as well have said, I'm a Viking, by the looks. (laughs) That you get, uh, it's not a job that people are used to um, meeting. There's, there's uh, not that many of us. It's kind of a weird kind of throwback to a previous uh, world to some people. I love my job. It's, it's a, a weird job. And having shared that, 95% chance the conversation is just going to be like over uh, at that point. They just don't know what to do with it. Five percent chance we're going to have a conversation about whether God made dinosaurs or something like that. But 95% chance people just don't know what to do with it. Case in point. Uh, went to a comedy club with some friends uh, just before Christmas. Those friends were Guy and Vanessa Mason and Steph and I. We went out the four of us to the Cooper's Inn just around the corner. Uh, and uh, it was a great night. I love a kind of um, low-key, local comedy night because you never know what you're going to get. right? You don't know if these uh, the people you're going to hear are like a year away from signing their first Netflix special or a few minutes away from quitting comedy forever. Like it's, it's kind of, you, and it's back to back. You never know quite. It's great fun. Uh, love going out. Anyway, so two priests and an archdeacon walk into a comedy club. All right. And the first thing, you know, they say kind of the MC gets up and they start uh, doing the kind of the crowd interaction piece, you know, the kind of like uh, picking up, showing off their improv skills, which is one of the best things about live comedy. They, they never know what they're going to get as well. Anyway, so they start kind of going around and you can see they sort of uh, prep for this. Uh, so you, sir, what do you do? I'm in finance and I've got a joke for that. Uh, you, what do you do? I'm studying marine biology, one girl said. Yep, they've got a joke for that. And then they come to Guy. <laughs> You sir, what do you do? And like I said truthfully, I run a church. I don't know if you've ever seen a live performer buffering, <laughs> right? Like you know, like on Netflix when there's the internet drops out, you can see like the mouth is like, "Give me the joke, brain," <laughs> and and you can just see in real time the brain is like, oh, "I don't even know what that is." Right? Any career he could have given, they would have had probably a joke for that. But not, I run a church. Anyway, having seen that, the next five comedians can't leave it alone. Having seen one MC, like he just had to move on, he had to end, he walked off, called up the next act. And so the next guy gets up. Now he, remember, they've all seen this going, right, at every stage. So the next comedian gets up, and he's like, "I, I probably shouldn't return to that, but they know there's a joke there. They just don't know enough about Christianity or the church anymore living in Melbourne to know what that joke might be. And so uh, the next uh, person gets up and says, oh, so how long have you been doing that? Hoping they can get some more information. And guy says, what, 17 years? To which the guy's like, huh? When did you, did you start the church when you were like 17? And guy says, no, I was 27. Oh, but you guys look, oh, never mind. Second act, completely tanked. (laughs) Then the third one gets up. Um, This is completely, I I checked this with the people there. This is exactly what happened. The third person gets up. Um, Again, has seen the whole thing happen before them. Still can't leave Guy alone hasn't learned a lesson. So I get some say, oh well, so what, what does it mean to run a church? Well, I guess it's all like uh, boring emails like any job, isn't it? But what's your email address? Is it like you know, a uh, Peter at house of the And guys like, no, it's guy mason at city com today. Oh. Third, fourth act. <laughs> tank. Anyways, now Guy Mason with one answer has now shipwrecked four up-and-coming comedians who've now quit comedy because of you, sir. Anyway, they kept on coming. Um, I mean, the next one was like, tried to have a bit on how I think Mary is the best, book, uh, best person in the book of the Bible. Ness had a go with that. She's like, uh, no, actually, I think Jesus is the best person in the Bible. Oh, yeah, fair enough. All right. Fifth down. <laughs> the Mason score. Anyway, the, um, I think the, 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 the final one, or the second last one, he gets up and you can see, I mean, he's seen all this going. He's like, should I just leave it? No, no, I'm going to go again. Anyway, he's like, well, I don't have a joke for this. But I, um, I just Googled city on a hill. And Google auto-completed to city on a hill controversy. And it kind of went from there. Anyway, he didn't have a joke about it. He just left it at that. Trying to move on, trying to kind of rescue the joke. You can see he's realized there's just nothing funny that they can see in this job. So he goes, all right, well, does anyone else hear a minister? Steph and I kind of look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> so now the whole middle row are Christian ministers. Anyway, we're reflecting on this afterwards. It's not their fault. It's our fault for having a weird job. A right, generation ago, I'm pretty sure these comedians would have had good material for Christian ministers, but it's just such a weird job these days in, in, in kind of secular Melbourne. It's a weird job, and today's passage I was hoping to share with you is just to kind of explain why I have a weird job, why I decided to go into Christian ministry, but also I think more importantly, because I don't want to make this all about my life and my career. I want to share with you why I think this verse is also about all of our jobs within the church. This passage tells us all what our task here is on earth, whether you are someone uh, with a weird career, like a person who works for a church, or whatever you do. This tells us as Christians what our job is in the church. So let's get down uh, into the text. Uh, Bibles open if we can. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. Uh, You can also get it from BibleGateway.com. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Normally, by the way, we work through a whole book of the Bible through our series here at Sea on a Hill. This is a slightly different series in January. January, we're mixing things up, so we're just diving into uh, particular verses. Um, and uh, it's preacher's choice, so there you go. I got to choose this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Text comes from the book of Ephesians. Now, if you don't know, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by the apostle Paul, who was one of the key figures in early Christianity, commissioned directly by Jesus to spread the message about Jesus to the world particularly to people who weren't Jewish. All the first Christians were Jewish. Paul's job was to spread it throughout the whole world. And he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, a church that he helped to plant in Ephesus, which is kind of a modern-day Turkey, just right on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is in the middle of explaining to the Ephesian churches about how Jesus Christ has given gifts. Jesus Christ has given gifts, to the church, uh, which he describes. He describes the church using the metaphor of the body, right? The body of Christ. There's one body, many parts. That's the church, one church, but diverse members. We're not all the same. We don't all do the same stuff. But uh, Jesus has given the church, the ultimate Christmas present, he's given the church gifts, verse 11. What is he given? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, or shepherds, you could say, the shepherds and the teachers. I don't know about uh, what you got for Christmas. I bet you didn't get a person for Christmas. All right? But this is what is being said here. Christ has given the church what? Gifts. What are those gifts? People. Right? These lists here are the gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, teachers. These gifts given to the church who are the people. Who are these people? How are they described? Well, there are five overlapping categories of people mentioned. Right? This is not an exhaustive list. There's lots of different gifts in the church, but this is the five that Paul mentions here. Let's go through them uh, diving down. Uh, Apostles means someone who is sent, a messenger, right? In Paul's writing, particularly, apostle refers to those original 12 plus himself and James, uh, so 14 apostles who are sent by Jesus or commissioned by Jesus, sent to bear witness to Jesus. Now, just to be clear, you can't have this job today, right? All those positions have been filled. Uh, they mostly got killed for it, so maybe that's a good thing depending on uh, what you enjoy. So he's appointed these four, uh, these uh, 12 plus 2 apostles to bear witness. And we don't need any new apostles today because they've actually written down their witness for us, preserved for us through the uh, testimony of the Scriptures, uh, their message about Jesus, their written testimony preserved in the Gospels and letters of the New Testament. So they're the apostles. The prophets... Uh, The next one listed. Now, they're not your Old Testament thus saith the Lord uh, prophets, right? They're uh, New Testament lowercase p prophets who are the people in a church who are given particular gifts of speech. Now, there's some kind of debate or controversy or just ambiguity about what that could mean uh, because it can be broad. But on the whole, the gifts of prophecy, the prophets in a church are people who uh, speak Words about Christ, about, uh, you know, from the Bible normally, uh, which strengthens, which encourages people in the church, which comforts people, which provides encouragement. I received a word uh, of prophecy, encouragement, uh, when I was deciding what to do with my life. As I I trained and entered into training uh, for ministry, I received a word of encouragement given by someone. All right, so we thank God for the gifts of lowercase p prophets in the church today. And then we have the evangelists. Now these are great. This is a great gift to the church. Evangelists are simply those who share the evangel, which is the Greek word for the good news, right? The gospel, the news about Jesus. Evangelists are people who share uh, the news about Jesus. Now we are all called to share the news about Jesus. Some of us, though, just seem to have a particular Like knack at doing it. Opportunities just come their way. I know some amazing evangelists in this church. So we're all meant to take up opportunities and pray for opportunities. But some people, they just seem to follow them around. And praise God for those people. Pray for more of those people. Maybe pray that God would make you an evangelist. Make you bold to be an evangelist. And take up the opportunities. Uh, There's a a good friend of mine in this church. He just seems to get into these conversations all the time at work. I don't know if he gets any work done. I'm sure he does. He's very good at his job. But he just seems to always, colleagues want to talk to him. He's the type of person who people want to ask their spiritual questions. Who want to hear respectfully him share his point of view. I was actually speaking um, to a musician friend of mine uh, the other week. Who I I met up with at a, um, a jazz gig. And she'd just come from the funeral of a, a mutual friend of ours. I know him not very well, but I do know this, this Christian in her life. She's not a Christian, but she knows this Christian. We both know this Christian who had died recently. And, you know, what she said about him, I was just so encouraged by. Right? Because She said that he, uh, she just had so much respect for him. And she just loved talking to him about spiritual things. Now, she's not a Christian, but he really made her think more seriously about it. Than ever. Because why? Well, she just explained that, like, firstly, she was just fascinated as he, he just gently told his story that he was a scientist, right? Not raised as a Christian, which kind of blew her mind because she thought all Christians were morons who were brainwashed as children, right? But no, he's just an adult, you know, sensible adult who's come to the Bible and studied it and understood it and come to believe in Jesus. So that blew her mind. But then the other thing she says, just the openness he had. She never got the sense that if she asked a stupid question, he would judge her. He just humbly listened to her questions. And and seriously, it it blew her mind and she misses that guy. She misses talking to him about spiritual stuff. Let's pray for more evangelists. Let's pray that God will make us with that kind of openness to opportunities and and courage to share gently and respectfully. I find it so inspiring. Uh, Whether we think our primary reason for being on Earth is to be an evangelist, big a evangelist, or whether we just want to take up those opportunities as they come. I do think God wants us all to be on the lookout for these opportunities to promote the gospel. OK, the last two on the list uh, are the pastors and teachers, and I think these should be understood together because they're kind of overlapping groups. Now these are really the people who look after the church. A pastor is kind of a weird word. We only use it really uh, in the church, but it just means a shepherd. Okay, so we could just say God gave us shepherds. Now, we don't have a flock of literal sheep, I don't think, in our church, right? So this is used metaphorically to talk about church leaders. In fact, throughout the Bible, shepherd is a consistent term, firstly, for God as the shepherd of his people. But then the people that God delegates that responsibility to on earth, well, they're described as kind of temporary under-shepherds. They're shepherds who work for the big shepherd. Um, Now, this is kind of a startling image for leadership, if you know the context in the first century. Uh, Con Campbell writes this about uh, this book of Ephesians and the use of the shepherd language. Shepherds in any culture do not enjoy high social status. They're not wealthy. They do hard, thankless work. The shepherd of ancient Israel was also a very dangerous vocation. Not only did they face the threat of wild animals and harsh conditions, but the terrain was often treacherous. Shepherds of the Wadi Kelt, for instance, for example, would navigate perilous inclines and deep chasms into which they could be easily plummet to their death with a single misstep. Shepherds literally risked their lives on a daily basis for the sake of their sheep. And that's the metaphor that Paul and that many Bible writers choose to describe church leadership, church leaders. Look for good shepherds. Right? The pay isn't good, but at least the work is hard and dangerous. Right? That's what shepherd kind of brings to mind. Okay? That's the metaphor, and it's for a reason, because it's meant to teach us what type of people you should look for in church leaders, but also, if you are a church leader, and I thank God for our great church leaders, our, our, our pastor, Guy Mason, and the others who work in the team, I thank God for the way they take on difficult, difficult work, in order to serve us. That's what the metaphor is meant to be showing us. It's a great image for Christian leadership. Uh, now, there's some overlap between the shepherd, the pastor, the people who kind of run the church, and the next group, which are the teachers, right? those who teach. Right? Teachers, people like uh, Guy, um, but also Steph and Britt and Emma and Graham and Brenton and Paul and, and the whole team, anyone who teaches, in, not just up the front in sermons. But throughout all the different contexts, our gospel community leaders, people who do one-on-one discipleship, we thank God for our teachers, people who are gifted at drawing people's attention to the scriptures, people who have the Bible open at the slightest provocation. They've got a Bible open. Let's look at the text. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Bible. And what a gift these people are to our church. I thank God for our teachers City on a hill. Um, I asked Britt, who's um, one of our, uh, I guess, uh, leads up our gospel communities here, one of our faithful servants on the team here, what drew her to full time ministry of teaching God's word. I love what she said back to me in the text message. She said this word ministry allows us to know God better and therefore love Him more. Isn't that great? Word ministry allows us to know God better and therefore love him more. I love it when you have a moment when you see the gospel more clearly or see a new facet of it and you realize, once again, it's more beautiful than you could ever properly comprehend. And then she goes on, love this too, the joy of being a teacher is helping to guide people to that same moment. Guiding people to that same moment where they see it afresh or get it and they come to love God a little bit more. I totally resonate uh, with Britt in describing this. When I was um, uh, kind of just finishing uni, I was training initially to be a lawyer. Um, I kind of had a job lined up, ready to go into kind of law if I wanted to. Um, But actually what I realized is that at the same time I'd been asked to serve in our youth group, couple of years before, and I was really loving spending time with the smelly year nine boys on a Friday night, teaching them from the Bible. In fact, I was probably spending more time doing that and like speaking on camps and and, and kind of reading the Bible with people. I was spending more time doing that than in the law books. And then the opportunity came up to actually uh, come on staff at my local church so I didn't have to keep on doing the other job, and I jumped at it because it just meant I could do more of this stuff that I was obviously just getting more and more passionate about. And seeing the changes in people's lives from reading the Bible, I thought it was an absolute privilege that I could keep doing that more and more and not have to earn a living at the same time somewhere else. And very soon I realized that if I was going to do that long term, I probably uh, should invest in my own education. Right? I'd spent six years studying the laws of New South Wales right? Why not spend four years at least studying the laws of God in the Bible so I could do that better, get better equipped, so I went to Bible college. Now, that was my journey. That's, just, I did, that, that's not everyone's journey or what everyone should do at all, but that's the part I play in the church. And I'd love to talk to you, actually, if you have the slightest inkling or uh, anything. I do know a good Bible college, all right? I, I work at Ridley College. I love to talk. There's many other Bible colleges too, but if that's, you think you have even an inkling that that might be, uh, the path that God is calling on. I'd love to talk to you about that. But shepherding and teaching, let's be clear, it's not for everyone. Right? It's not something that God calls everyone to. And I thank God for all of you right, in our church. You have different gifts. We can't all be in the body. We can't all be legs. We can't all be big toes, right? We need difference in the church, variety of gifts. And we serve together, one body, many gifts. And also, Not all of us, even not all of of us teachers are going to necessarily serve uh, in the same way, working for the church, say, full-time. We don't all do that. I thank God for everyone who serves God in secular workplaces or in the home. One body, different gifts. But here's a really controversial point from the passage. Even though we have different gifts, we're not all teachers, we don't all work for a church, we are all ministers. Controversial, I know. And that's what the Bible says. All right, check it out. Verse 12. He's just said, in the verse before, Paul's just said that God has given us apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What for? To equip his people, verse 12. What are they being equipped for? For works of service. Okay, the job of the teachers and the pastors and everyone is to equip the people for works of service now works of service is literally ministry that's what the word means ministry just means service it's actually not even a particularly kind of highfalutin kind of service it's more normally menial tasks because again that is the model Jesus has given us who came not to be served but to serve so ministers are servers and we are all servers we are all called if we follow Jesus to serve with our unique gifts and skills and passions and time and energy. So in the Christian church, I think every serious Christian should think of themselves, they, they are ministers. Our musicians are ministers. Right? Don't they serve us by helping keeping us in tune and in time and inspiring us and leading us, carefully choosing songs? But our, our many rooms volunteers are servers, serving the city's poor and isolated with meals and friendship. The city kids leaders, the city uni leaders, are servers, are ministers who patiently disciple the young people who are a precious part of our church. In fact, I asked Emily, one of our youth leaders this week, why she chooses to serve as a youth leader. She said this, I love it. Being a teenager is hard, she replied, growing up in a world that's constantly asking them where they find their true happiness and what identifies them as a person. What drew me to teaching was wanting to help teenagers to start leading their own lives and to be centred on the grace and the love of Jesus and help encourage them through the challenging situations that come from living a life for Jesus. My prayer, she went on, is that God would work powerfully through this ministry, reminding the youth through these teachings that they will, that they find their true identity and source of happiness in being a loved child of God. What a gift these teachers are to our young people. And I really do hope, uh, if if I could get one thing out of today's passage, if after we study this passage today, some of you will tap someone you know in this church on the shoulder and say, hey, I reckon you have the character and the gifts to actually step into serving in one of these ways. We think you have the character, the gifts... The, the convictions, the beliefs, to serve because the church urgently needs you. Maybe we can have some conversations like that afterwards. Uh, Christ gives us all sorts of gifts. There's all sorts of different gifts to his people. Everyone has a different role to play. It's not all the same thing. Uh, everyone has a different type of ministry, but it's all a ministry of service with a single goal, which is body building. Right? The goal, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. it's actually a mixing of metaphors, right? Because you don't build bodies, right? Like, Like building is normally for buildings, bodies to kind of grow. But he mixes those metaphors because the body of Christ is a temple where we meet Jesus in his spirit. Okay, so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the goal in this mixed metaphor of bodybuilding is maturity, unity, and fullness of Christ, right? Unity, right? Good teaching means we all know the same things about God, right? We all love God and we all know God in the same way from the Bible, knowing Jesus as he really is, knowing God as he really is revealed in Jesus. That's the unity of faith. But maturity also means we're not easily thrown by that. If someone comes up with some crazy new idea about God, we're like, I don't know about that. Let's have a look at the scriptures, and the goal also is expressing the fullness of Christ. In other words, that we would fully be the, the presence of Christ in the world. Right? They would actually, hey, Jesus says that we should love our neighbor. Let's actually do that. Jesus says we should be patient and kind. Let's do that. Jesus says we should forgive others. Let's do that. So we reach the fullness of Christ by being the people he's calling us to be in the world. So all our different gifts of service are set on this same goal, building up the body, establishing, building, maturing, growing the church. And this is not just a nice-to-have, by the way. This is actually crucial because of the environment the church is in. These are not smooth-sailing waters. Right? Once we reach maturity, then we will no longer be infants. Changes the metaphor again. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. I don't know what these infants are doing seafaring, but that's the metaphor he's going with. You don't want to be like a toddler in charge of a ship. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forward by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The fact is that our church is just surrounded on all sides by different messages, different beliefs about God. Not all of them can be right. It's vital for us to stay the course, stay fixed on Jesus, who really shows us what God is like. To stay fixed on Jesus and his teaching. That's why I encourage everyone I meet, all right, to, uh, to the extent that you're able, to the opportunities that you get, to get serious about studying the Bible. That's how we meet Jesus. That's how we hear what he's like. Hear what he's like. One great way of doing that, as we heard, is the greenhouse program, which many people have done at this church. has been a great blessing. Right, the greenhouse program is excellent. Or, or committing to regular Bible reading with a mate before, before work. Or deeply investing even more in your gospel community. I hope you're in a gospel community. And of course, if you do think you could put aside eight hours a week, you could take a course at a Bible college. Again, I know a good one. But I'm serious. Serious Christians are going to want to spend as much time as they can diving into God's word, getting confident handling the scriptures, even particularly the tricky bits. Uh, Megan, uh, who served on our City Kids ministry for many years, uh, recently actually turned up in my Old Testament class, which was a great joy to me. Uh, and I asked her, why? Like, why are you here? I mean, obviously, I'm an excellent teacher, but why are you here? That's a joke, by the way. I um, asked her why she decided to study theology and study the, the Bible. And she said that as she was growing up, she was taught about Jesus, but the depth that they went into and her childhood faith really didn't prepare her for the reality of life. As an adult, for whatever reason, she just didn't feel like she was prepared to face the complexity of the world and the complexity of her own sin and other people's sin. And so she came to study the Bible, at Bible college, because she wanted to be able to better equip our young people, our kids and teach them really well. She said, this theological study helps me expand this knowledge of God and his faithfulness and forgiveness, test it and hone it. And to be able to share the scriptures with children in all seasons prayerful that this knowledge will grow and support their faith throughout their whole lives. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he talks about the maturity that the goal of teaching is. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, right, instead of being tossed to and fro like an infant on a ship, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love this, speaking the truth in love. Isn't that a great motto for church? And I don't just mean the sermon, right? There's so much other speech that happens in love, in a church. I think of Mark uh, who... who Joined our gospel community years ago. Now, Mark's an engineer by day, by trade, but he mentors so many people. Right, he meets up and, and I ask him, kind of, what do, you, what do you do when you meet up with other people in our church? And he says this, I informally meet one-on-one with a number of men from Siona Hill and the key question I look for them to answer is, what is God saying to them in this season? Jesus, he goes on, is the word... And as we gather around his word, his spirit turns up and inspires, clarifies, rebuffs and draws them to love Jesus and respond out of love to him. Sometimes stories and experiences are helpful at times, but the scriptures appear to be what the spirit uses the most effect. Speaking the truth in love from the Bible everywhere in our church. Isn't that a great vision? What a gift to our church for people like Mark and the many others who do that. I think Mark, I think many others here have caught the vision that Paul is describing here, a vision where the, the teachers and the pastors don't do all the ministry. The teachers and the pastors equip church members to do their thing, to speak the truth in love so that everyone matures in their faith. In Christ and is able to stand strong against whatever currents, whatever storm comes. So I said at the start, this is kind of the verse that explains why I have a weird job, my particular job as a teacher. But really, that was a trick because this verse really explains all of our jobs. It's a vision for church. Now I wonder if it's the same vision that kind of you've been raised with, or you've been kind of picked up about church. Because um, it, it's the thing. I think some people have a vision of church which is quite different. All right, there's this uh, pastor in a previous generation who used to describe these two visions of church, uh, comparing two types of ship. Okay. He says this: oh, We are at spiritual war. This guy's Adrian Rogers, um, I think Baptist pastor in the states from a previous generation. We're in a spiritual war, he says, and the church is not a cruise ship with a senior pastor as master of ceremonies. The church is not a showboat. No, the church is a battleship. All right, we in the body of Christ are called to see Satan's strongholds crumble under the power of heaven's artillery. So what's the, what's the brochure that you bring with you when you turn up to church? I've got two options here on the screen. All right, are you thinking of church like the cruise ship? Or did you think you were turning up to a battleship? Now I have to say, the resemblance is remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> but what's the brochure that you brought with you today? Because if you're expecting that, I just don't think Sea On Hill's gonna work for you, because this is not a showboat. Right? We are we are at war against sin, the world, and the devil. Right now, if you're on the if you're on the cruise ship and the ship comes under heavy fire and there's like water gushing in and people are getting hit. You don't log on and write a review on Yelp. This battleship's terrible. What do you do? You get bailing water out. You start helping people who have fallen. You speak the truth in love so the body of Christ might be built up because the church needs you. Because this is a battleship and we are at war. We're at war against the sin in our own lives. We're at war against the dark forces in this world that would see all good and life corrupted. And the stakes really are life and death. We are at war and people are dying. I keep thinking, I'm going to leave on this as the band gets up. I keep thinking about what another of our youth leaders said when I asked why she serves in youth each week. She mentioned a few things at first, like love seeing kids feel included and part of community and built up and encouraged and have fun. But then she said this, which just I haven't stopped thinking about. The reason she serves in youth every week, even when sometimes it's disappointing, sometimes not a lot of kids turn up, sometimes you don't feel like you're making progress, this is why she does it. The reality that people may end up in a place with no escape from weeping, pain, and utter darkness. The only greater motivator than this is hope. Hope is a promise that instead these kids can walk down streets of pure gold with unrelenting joy on their faces and peace in their hearts. For me, it's life and death. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us these gifts of people who are passionate about speaking the truth in love and building up your church, who serve in our youth, who serve in our kids' ministry, who serve everywhere in our church, in gospel communities, on the sound team, in the band, many rooms. There's too many to name. Thank you, God, for your gifts of these people. I pray that we really would reach maturity, that we'd no longer be babies trying to navigate the high seas, but in fact, we would be built up and mature in Christ to know the way we're going and to get home safely. I thank you for these people, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to build your church. Amen.